what's plaguing the church today is practical atheism. That's the greatest threat to the church today is because practical atheists fill the pews. Now, I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying that, that typically speaking, sometimes we have a tendency to live like there is no God. And we come on Sunday mornings and we put on our Sunday best and we bring our Bibles and, and uh, we act like we've had it all together all week long when we know we haven't most of the time. And so we need to reevaluate our walk with God. Lord, if you really are there, and you are, and Jesus, if you really died on that cross, and you did, if you really rose from the dead, and you did, then I owe you my life 100%. Lock, stock, and barrel. I have no right to reserve any part of my life just for me. I surrender a little. Or do I surrender some? Or do I surrender all? Jesus is worthy of all of our surrender. Now today, I want to talk about another evidence of practical atheism. This is the last one we're going to deal with. And this is, we live as if we're completely independent of God. And I'm going to share with you three manifestations of this evidence of how we, we contend to live independently of God. First of all, one of the manifestations of this is we make decisions independently of God. We don't consider God when we're making decisions. We make them according to our own whims, our own likes and dislikes. We find this in 1 Chronicles 17. David did this. By the way, David was a follower of God. But there were times in his life where he lived kind of like a, an atheist, a practical atheist. Now listen, we're all guilty of living, uh, having these evidences in our lives. That's why I'm exposing them. So we can get rid of them. So we can repent of these things in our lives and really uh, be an example to Christ. You know what? It's been said that one of the reasons people don't come to Christ, they don't want to become a Christian, is because why? They know one. I want your life, I want my life to be a living example that there is a God, that He is all-powerful, that He does forgive sin, that He does love sinners, that He is available, that He's real, that He's here, that He's practical, that He's relevant. Your life and my life as Christians should be telling the world that story. But sometimes we, we don't live that way, do we? We live like practical atheists. People look at our lives and they don't see much difference between them and us, but yet we call ourselves a Christian. And so that's why I say it's the greatest threat to the church today. Practical atheists. David had some practical atheist moments in his life. In 1 Chronicles 17, verse 1 through 4, it says, Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan, the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord, the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, You shall not build a house to dwell, me a house to dwell in. So David just came up with this great idea. Hey, you know, God's uh, in that in the Jewish mind then, God's presence was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. It contained the Ten Commandments, the manna, the rod of Moses and, and Aaron and and uh, that was where they kept it in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, which was basically just a, a glorified tent. 
It represented God's glory. That's where they went to meet with God. And so David said, had this great idea. I don't want to see God's presence dwelling in a tent. I live in a fine home, a permanent dwelling. God's presence needs a permanent dwelling, needs a temple. Now, doesn't that sound like a good idea to you? I mean, it sounds perfectly logical, right? In fact, he, got, he was so convinced this was right, he shared it with the preacher, Nathan. He said, hey, preacher, don't you think this is a good idea? And the preacher thought it was a good idea. And the preacher said, yeah, David, that's a good idea. You go right ahead. And see, sometimes us preachers do the same thing. That night, God showed up to the preacher's house and said, Preacher, you go back and tell David, I never told him to build me a house. You're not going to build me a house. David was making a decision independently of God, although it was a good thing. That wasn't a bad thing to want to build God a house. But he didn't ask God. I wonder how many of you and I are guilty of the same thing. Day after day, week after week, year after year. We just keep making decisions. Good decisions, we think, but we don't consult God. Let me ask you this. Who made you? Who put your brain in your head? Who gave you the ability to think and reason? God. Who gave you a word of principles of life to live by? God. Do you think that God has an answer? God has a will in everything? Yes or no? Yes. But do we consult Him in everything? No. Would, would that offend you if you were God? That is a sin. It's a sin to ignore God, to act and to make decisions independently of Him. Now later, David learned his lesson. He humbly submitted to the will of the Lord. When Nathan went back to him and said, God said, you're not going to build the house. He didn't rebel. He submitted to the authority of God. And he, God said, David, I'm, I, you're not going to build me a house. Listen, God said, I'm going to build you a house. He said, from now on, every descendant of yours is, is going to be on the throne. And your descendants will be on the throne forever until eternity. Pointing to who? Jesus Christ from the line of David. He said, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make your name great. He said, and your son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. And so what David did the rest of his life is he began organizing for Solomon to build the temple. He got all the materials together. Got all the workers together. And then he told Solomon, he said, Solomon, here's what you do. Seek the Lord. And this is a direct quote from 2 Chronicles. Seek the Lord. Arise and build. He said, Solomon, before you get up and build, you better do the first thing first, which I forgot to do. Seek the Lord. James chapter 4, the New Testament tells us, verse 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To know that we ought to be seeking the Lord in our decisions, but not to do it, it's evil, it's sin. So many of us live like practical atheists because we make hundreds of decisions every week, month, year. But how many times have we stopped and fallen on our faces before God or knelt down in prayer and said, God, I need your wisdom. Show me what you would want me to do. I'm not saying we never do that, but we ought to be doing that in all of our decision-making. God, what is your will in this situation? God wants to show you his will more than we want to seek it. You know that? God wants to lead you more than we want to follow. So sometimes we, we live like practical atheists when we make decisions independently of God. Let me ask you this morning, what decision are you facing right now? Some of you got some big ones. You're facing maybe first thing tomorrow at work. Some of you have some family decisions you need to make. Some of you are struggling. You've, you've even thought about going in the bathroom and tossing a coin just to make up your mind. Have you sought the Lord? Have you talked to Him about it? Are you willing to wait until He gives you an answer? You say, well, I don't know what to do. When you don't know what to do, God's saying, what's He saying? Wait. Wait. You say, well, I can't wait. Well, you can't. If you can't, then you'll probably make a mess of it. But if you don't know what to do, seek the Lord. Ask Him. He wants to give you guidance. And He will. Another way we live like practical atheists, not only do we make decisions independently of God, we act independently of God. David almost made a hasty decision, but we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 that he did make a hasty decision. Another good idea. Remember the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God? David wanted to have it moved from where it was in Kiriath-Jerim back to Jerusalem. But it says in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 1, David consulted... At least he got some counsel. He consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to the assembly of Israel, It seems good, if it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to you, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in the, all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Bala, the to Kirath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. It was a grand affair. And when they came to... 
Tidon's play, threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? Anybody realize what mistake David made? He made some critical errors that led to Uzzah's death. You see, no, the, the ark of God was the presence of God. It was the glory. No man could touch the ark. God told them if they touched it, if they even looked inside it, they would die. They had to carry it on poles. The ark had rings, one ring at each of the four corners. They were to slide poles through those rings, and the priests were to carry the ark without touching the ark on the poles. But what did they do? They loaded it on a cart. Now, if David, David consulted the leaders of the people. He got their collective wisdom. He said, hey, guys, this is what I want to do. Another good idea. want to move the ark of God to Jerusalem. Another good idea. He consulted. He got counsel from the leaders, put their collective heads together, came up with a good decision, said, yes, this is what we ought to do. They made a big fanfare out of it, made a great worship service out of it. Well, that worship service ended tragically, though, because they did it the wrong way. And why did they do it the wrong way? Because they did not consult God or His Word. Did God's Word have something to say about how they should transport the ark? Yes or no? Yes. Why didn't they consult the Word of God? Lazy. Proud. They didn't have time. They didn't want to. Or they didn't think God's Word had an answer. That's how we are. We're too much in a hurry. We're too lazy. We don't have the time. We think we can figure it out on our own. We don't need God's help. We're smart enough. Let's just get a committee together and let them decide. Everybody that's on a committee that's in this church, this sermon's for you. Every leader of this church, me, Bobby, Brian, Dale, this sermon's for us. Every head of a household, this sermon's for you. Every business leader, every decision maker in your business, this sermon's for you. If I get, have I missed anybody? Every student trying to decide, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? This sermon's for you. We act independently of God. Thank God, God always gives us second chances. And third, and fourth. David learned his lesson in chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles. We read in verse 13, David speaking to the priest about, again, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He says, because you did not do it the first time. It almost sounds like he's accusing the priest. It's their fault. But then he comes back and says, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Listen, whose church is this? Is this my church? Whose church is this? Is this your church? No, it's not your church. This is where you come. This is where we... We are the church. The church is the body of who? Christ Jesus. Who is the head? Christ Jesus. This is her, his church. Does he have a will for his church? 
The head contains the mind. The head contains the eyes. The head contains the ears. The head contains the mouth. So as the head, Jesus can think better than we can think, right? He can see farther than we can see, right? He can hear better than we can hear. He can speak better than we can speak. We need to consult the head. Look to the head. Lord Jesus, what do you have for your church? And so often churches act independently of God. And we can make messes of things. And David said here in verse 4, Scripture says in verse 14, So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now just that they had done that the first time. But they got it right the second time. Sometimes we learn how by our failures. Sometimes God lets us fail. Sometimes God has to bring us to the end of ourselves because we've acted independently of Him. He has to show us the ruin that that brings us to, humbles us, and then we turn to God. and Say, okay, God, we messed up. Show us what to do. God loves us enough to let us do that. We can rely on our own wisdom. We can rely on our own ability and strength. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, which you know very well, verse 5, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not, do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways. Not just the ones that you think God's interested in, but all your ways. You think God's interested in all your ways? Acknowledge Him, look to Him, seek Him, and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's part of our problem. We think we can figure it out. In 1940, the International Herald Tribune printed a report from a student at Syracuse University. He had studied the speeches of Adolf Hitler and other world leaders of that time. He reported that Hitler used the first person singular more frequently than any other world statesman, by far. He used, Hitler used I or me an average of once every 54 words. What was Hitler's problem? He was. He was full of himself. And you know what happened to our world because of Adolf Hitler. And you know where it eventually led, Adolf Hitler. And listen, if you try to live like him, you say, I'm not Hitler. Well, if you're living independently of God, acting independently of God, making decisions independently of God, you're living just like Adolf Hitler. Your life will go the same way. You say, well, I won't start a world war. No, you may not, but you may in your family. You may at your job. It'll wreck your life, living independently of God. You cannot do it. You're His creation. You cannot live independently of your Creator. 
That's what atheists are trying to do. It's ruining their lives. But sadly, that's what many so-called Christians, practical atheists in the church, are trying to do. I just want to show up on Sunday. I want to look like a Christian, but I want to live like I want to live Monday through Saturday. You're a practical atheist, and my friends, if that's the way you see life, you may not even be saved. Because the Bible says the devils believe in God and tremble. They know there's a God. The demons recognize Jesus in the New Testament. They said to Jesus, we know who you are, O Holy One of God. They recognized him. But they're not in heaven. They're demons. So just because you know who Jesus is, and you come to church, and you stand, and you sing, and, and, and it doesn't mean you're saved. It means you may be just a practical atheist apart from God. I want to share with you one more in the time that I have left of a, another manifestation of this evidence of, no, of, of living independently of God. And this may hit a little bit closer home to some of us. That is, when we face a problem, and listen, every one of us face problems. Some of you are facing some very difficult ones right now. All kinds of problems. There's health problems. There's financial problems. There's family problems. There's problems at work. There's all kinds of problems. You've got things that you can't figure out right now that you're trying to put pieces together to make it work. But here's how a practical atheist res responds. They react in fear instead of responding in faith. You see, back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God told the children of Israel, He said, when you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, I want you to hear this, O church of Jesus Christ. Today, you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. That is God's promise. Whatever you're facing, God is with you. We live and go through our problems like we're going all alone. And we forget the promises of God. We sometimes feel that He's not there, that He's left us, that He's abandoned us. But hear the promise of God, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God has not left you. God's promise is that he's with you, and he's facing this with you, and this battle is his. The Bible says in, in Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7, he said, Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now let's translate that to our situation. You see, in that day, the more chariots and horses you had, the more secure and safe you were. I mean, if somebody, if an enemy or was coming against you, then if you had enough horses and chariots and, and a big enough army, then you didn't have to really worry. You knew that you had enough to handle whatever was coming against you. Listen, let's translate that today. Some trust in bank accounts. 
and some trust in friends. See, listen, you may not have enough in your bank account. You may not have people that you can go to for help. Listen, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Did you notice? Go back and look at your worship bulletin. Look at the title of every song we sing. Every song we sing. All hail the power of what? Lord, I... Blessed be... Blessed be... And then, oh, how I love... What? Okay, we just sang all that. Now are you going to live it? It's fun to sing. Are you going to live it? Where is your faith? Is it really in the name of Jesus Christ? The name that is above every name. The name in which the demons of hell and the devil himself tremble when you can call on the name of the Lord our God. The name of the Lord, the Bible says, is a strong tower. I believe y'all sang that last week, Brian. And the righteous run to it and are safe. We, when we're going through something very difficult, and that is usually either we're coming out of it, we are headed into it, or we're right slap dab in the middle of it. That's everybody here. Listen, the name of the Lord, God is with you. Don't react in fear, respond in faith. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we find a king by the name of Asa. Asa reacted in fear because of the army. He says in, in verse 1 that he made an alliance. Actually, in verse 2 and 3, he made an alliance with the king of Syria against his own people. Let's read that. He said, Verse 3, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. This is the king of Israel talking to the king of Syria. He said, see, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. And at that time Hanani the seer came to King Asa, Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you've relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Here's what happens in our lives. Just like it happened in Asa's life, he freaked out. And he looked to man for help. And he got, he got caught. He got called out by the prophet Hananiah. He said, you relied on man. You didn't rely on the name of the Lord your God. And it says, if we keep reading in this passage, this is where we hear this famous verse of verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. 
But this prophet said to Asa, In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. I want you to notice what he says in verse 11 through the end. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. God's not saying it's wrong to, seek, to, to, to go to a doctor. What he is saying here about Asa's manner of his life was he never sought God. He wasn't seeking God. He sought man's help. And see, why is it that we have bumper stickers that we, I think they pretty well disappeared now because enough people called them out on bumper stickers that say when all else fails, what? Pray or look up. After all else fails. Why not before all else fails, pray? Why not seek God first? I don't know. We're stupid that way. But I want to compare that to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I didn't say, gosh, you're fat. I said, Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Make sure you hear me. Some people are going to walk out of here offended, said the preacher called me fat. I said, Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came in battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and there in Hazan, Hazan Tamar, which is in, in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. You ever get scared when things come against you? When the bills are piling up? When your boss is ticked off at you? When there's some problem that you just can't figure out? Have you ever been afraid? Is it normal to be afraid? Jehoshaphat was afraid. He got bad news. All these people are coming against him and his nation. But what did he do? He set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And here's his prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? You see what he's doing? He's declaring faith and dependence upon God. He said, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now what's interesting about this prayer is that he's quoting Solomon's prayer when Solomon dedicated the temple that God wouldn't let David build. We have fast-forwarded through history, and now here's Solomon, here's Jehoshaphat claiming the promise that God would be with them. God would hear them. And he says in verse 10, And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel 
invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. For we do not know what to do. You ever felt like that? Some of you are facing something right now, you don't know what to do. That's what Jehoshaphat is saying, Lord, this, this is too big for us. We don't know what to do. But he didn't stop there. He said, but our eyes are upon you. Look to the Lord. Look to God. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them, then you will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Two kings, Asa, Jehoshaphat, represents everybody in this room. One king acting independently of God, trusting only in man in his own wisdom, met with disaster. In fact, it says, if we were to look at another passage, that Asa and Jehoshaphat went to battle together. And uh, Asa told Jehoshaphat, he said, I'm going to disguise myself, but you wear the kingly robes. When we go to battle, they won't find me. They'll, be look, they'll think you're the king. And sure enough, when they went to battle, they saw Jehoshaphat dressed in the kingly robes, and they began to pursue him. And when the battle got intense upon him, he cried out to God. And God turned the army away from him. And there is Asa, and he's, he's disguised, and, and he's got his armor on. But it says an, an archer, just a, a random archer, just pulled back his bow and just shot. He wasn't aiming at anything. He just pulled it back and let an arrow go. And the arrow found a chink in the armor of Asa and pierced his heart, and he died. Can't hide from God. A man who was acting independently of God his life ended in disaster. A man who sought the Lord and led his people, his family, his business, his church, his Sunday school class, his wife, his children, to seek the Lord, was successful and blessed. My friends, what is it that's your battle? What challenges are you facing? What decisions are you facing? A drowning boy was struggling in the water. On shore stood his mother in agony of fright and grief. By her side stood a strong man, seemingly indifferent to the boy's fate. 
Again and again did the suffering mother appeal to him to save her boy, but he made no move. By and by, the desperate struggles began to abate. The boy was losing strength. Finally, he arose to the surface, weak and helpless. At once, the strong man leaped into the stream and brought the boy in safely to shore. Why did you not save my boy sooner, cried the grateful mother. Madam, I could not save your boy as long as he struggled. He would have dragged us both to certain death. But when he grew weak and ceased to struggle, then it was easy to save him. To struggle to save ourselves is simply to hinder Christ from saving us. Some of you here today, you think you're good enough to get to heaven. You're dead wrong. I wouldn't bank on that. You're going to sink and find yourself in hell one day because you did not depend upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins. It's time for you to let go of your life in exchange for His. It's time for you to trust in what Jesus did for you instead of what you can do for Him. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to forgive your sin and give you a new life. And there's some of you here today that are facing some very difficult situations and you're struggling and you're straining and the Lord is waiting for you just to be still. Waiting for you to get to the point of absolute weakness and desperation to where you cry out to Him. You see, Peter began to sink. And just before his head went under the waves, he cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus reached down and saved him, picked him up. Are you to that point yet? You don't have to wait to get to that point. You can realize right now that I am not strong enough, I am not wise enough, and there's not enough people in my life with enough wisdom in my life to help me make this decision apart from God. God, I need your input. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come to my office and say, Brother Lee, I'm going through a difficult time. I've heard what my mom and daddy has to say. I've heard what my brothers and sisters have to say. I've heard what my good friends have to say. I am tired of listening. I'm confused. I want to know what God's got to say. Seek the Lord. Don't live like an atheist. You say you believe in Him. You say you know Him. Then seek Him. He has a will for every decision you face, for every challenge you meet, for every problem you encounter. He has something to say. He has a will to accomplish if you'll just seek Him. Let's bow our heads together.